When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Barstoolers Premier League podcast. On today's episode of the show, we'll be reviewing a Premier League weekend which seen a record-breaking amount of goals scored. We'll be discussing all the transfer activity in what has been a busy week for Premier League clubs and we'll be previewing a big weekend of games in Game Week 3. We hope you enjoy the show. Right lads, do you prefer Premier League with defending or no defending? I love a goal fest, me. Plenty of goals scored this weekend. Unbelievable Premier League action this weekend. Personally, I prefer good defensive displays. As, as, a, as a fan, as, as a former defender myself, it's, it's, it's disheartening to see this many goals being led in the Premier League. It's like that mindset of Italian football. The perfect football match ends nil-nil. Well, Serie A just shot and appalled at that Premier League weekend. I think it was 44 goals. There yeah. were many. There were many. It's class. Defending went completely out the window and I, for one, am all for it. One such game, first match we'll review, is Leeds against Fulham. Ended 4-3 to Leeds. Any thoughts on that game? That was just a great game. Uh, great to watch. Four goals for Leeds, three for Fulham. Uh, what a thought. Fulham were knocked out early on, but they came back well into the game. and Great game overall to watch. Leeds looked brilliant on, the, on up front again. Um, obviously, Helder Costa scoring twice. Bamford getting a goal. Penalty. Uh, the Leeds penalty seemed harsh. I could see why it was given for the push. It was kind of hard to overturn it at that stage. But the, the Fulham penalty was, I thought, was nailed on. Yeah, this is one bone of contention. I'm absolutely not having that that was a penalty. I would, I would like to apologise to anyone who follows the Twitter <laughs> account. Connell is the admin and he was talking absolute shite. No, no and look, I'm, as if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know I'm a United fan. So Leeds, not exactly one of my favourite teams. That was absolutely not a penalty. Joe Bryant went in. Then Robin Cock came in. It was a stupid decision by Cock. I don't know why he attempted to win the ball. But Joe Bryan just stuck his leg in there. He just left in there, completely baited him. And yeah, never a penalty in my opinion. Ironic of a United fan to shout diving after Fernandez pulled. 
We'll talk Fran- about that later, Ronan. Don't get me started yet. <laughs> but, oh, right, I put it like that. If Fernandez did that, waiting for that contact, would you, would you be happy? No. <laughs> exactly, yes, yeah. No, yes, exactly. I won't. No, that's a frightening slip right there. Absolutely not a penalty. Gave Fulham a lifeline that game. My first note about Fulham is that they were playing like a pro clubs team in the sense that they were very energetic, but like just couldn't defend at all. But as the game progressed, I actually got more impressed by them. I think their two midfielders, Harrison Reed and uh, Anguisa, wonderfully named Anguisa, I thought they were quite good, tried quite a lot of energy, a lot of pressing, and their passing was an awful lot better than it was against Arsenal. Yeah, I've uh, just then me notes here, similar to what you said about the defending. The first instance of bad defending from Fulham was uh, the corner. Shocking marking. Heller Costa freed the back post, smash it in. Great finish, but really shouldn't be getting the space in the box there to get the finish off. And then I have Anguisa equals good. He was very, very impressive the weekend. I just have down for Fulham's. I have, again, poor marking for Costa first goal, and I just have a Hector zero IQ. Hector for the lead fourth goal was in the other half. Yeah. Challenging for a header in the midfield. I don't know what he was at. Yeah, very bad. He stepped up so much, just left acres of space behind him. Yeah, great run from Bamford, though, and good ball into the box, but finish was superb from Costa. Smash the first time. Actually, I have a note down here from the first half. I said Mitrovic anonymous. Then he got that, uh, in my opinion, very soft penalty. He put that away. And then a really good goal for the third one. Uh, Tete put in a ball, and that's a ball header from Mitrovic. And if Fulham have any chance to stay up this year, it's because of Mitrovic's goals. If he doesn't score goals, not a chance. Even if he does score goals, they'll probably still go down. Yeah, Tetti was hitting some good crosses in the box. And early on in the second half, Leeds were struggling to get the ball out. But obviously then they were closing them down. And yeah, so Mitrovic getting the two goals, good start for him to the season. Obviously the season before when Fulham were in the Premier League, he was a serious goal getter. And he was banging goals in the championship. Love to see Mitrovic. Class. He's definitely an enjoyable player to watch, 100%. Um, but I think one thing with Fulham is they provided quite a lot of energy, particularly in the second half. But I don't really know what their identity is yet. And I think that's why they might go down. If you look at someone like Burnley, Burnley do not play, you know, quote unquote, good football. They play a 4 4 2, two banks of four whip it up to the big boy and just hope for the best. But it's a little bit more sophisticated than that. They really commit to that they really commit to the manager yeah. Deitch I have a lot of respect for him as a coach because they know what they are they don't pretend to be anything else and if you really commit to it like they do you're going to finish like 12th or 13th you're never really going to finish much higher but you will stay up but Fulham I don't think have that they're not streetwise the only thing about Fulham that, noticed, that I was noticeably impressed by was in the first half in particular the, the high press leads seem to struggle with it quite a bit yeah, it's Leeds don't have a huge amount of individual quality in their team. Now they're looking, yeah. they've brought in a couple of good players like Rodrigo, and I think there are, oh, who are they looking to bring in? I've seen someone Lorente from Sociedad, I think. Center yes, back. Ex- yeah, exactly. He seems like quite a good player. They were linked with Rodrigo de Paul. I don't think that's happening, but they're improving on their individual quality. But it's going to take a couple of seasons for them to actually have a good yeah. team. And by then, Bielsa might be gone. Yeah, Leeds, so like none of the players have a set position. I think it was mad. Like, listen to the commentators, they were right. Like, the players, they just kind of play anywhere. And that's what makes them a great team to watch. 
But then obviously they did concede three goals to Fulham. They've conceded six goals in their opening two Premier League games, which could could be bad for them. But obviously if you're scoring four goals a game... Yeah, it's, it's mad. They have the best attack in the league, but they also have the second worst defence in the first two weekends. I think only West Brom conceded more in the opening two games. You know, I was reading a chapter from that book I have, Inverting the Pyramids. It's sort of like the starter pack sort of tactical book. And he's reading the chapter on Bielsa there just because I remember there was one and it was on about that, how there is no real positions. There was, when he was manager of Newell's old boys, he had some right back and he just played him defensive midfielder in like some cup final or something like that. And he played the best match of his life. And he was like, I don't know how I've never played this position before, but they just have that tactical awareness. Yeah, and they play with great intensity. Like they came out, they started the second half, and it would they the pressing they were doing was deadly. Obviously, they were getting goals, and then the Fulham subs. Like when Bobby Reid came on, he really did. I really did think at a stage that Fulham were going to get a fourth. I thought Bobby Reid was classed when he came on. Yeah, I've a grudge against that man because I signed him with I think it was Huddersfield on Football Manager, and he was very bad, very bad player. So when he came on, it's like Jesus, this waster. But uh, no, he took his goal well as well, right in the bottom corner. Oh, like absolutely! Him a yeah, great finish. Yeah, Shorteta is only there as well. Only signed from I no Leon. He's played Ajax. Leon, yeah. yeah I'm surprised um, he made it. I I know Leon didn't finish. At least Leon only finished eighth last year. But they went Champions League semi final. Why would you go from Leon to Fulham? Probably better money. But was he getting his game? I don't think he was. The Dubois. But another interesting thing I took away from that game, despite it being 4-3, if you exclude the penalties, which maybe is fair, maybe it's not, the XG was the exact same for each team, 0.8. Yeah, the penalty onto that, that's nearly 2-2, but just good finishing in that game. It's clear they're exciting to watch. I mean, Click, especially in the middle, Click impressed me into Liverpool last week as well. And it was his creativity that made the second or third goals for Leeds. I know he scored the penalty, but it was from a throw-in. That he took, I think he took him. He moved in from the wing and then came through in the middle. And that throw and took out about four Fulham players. And then I think it was him that actually ended up winning the penalty as well. Or was it Bamford that tripped up? I can't remember. But he obviously. Bamford, yeah. And then it was his pass through to Bamford as well. He set up Bamford for the third goal as well. So I think create in midfield, got bundles of creativity through click. And it's just looked good going forward. Yeah, no, definitely a very good addition to the Premier League. So going on to the next match, not one I'm particularly thrilled to discuss <laughs> uh, as a United fan, is the United 3-1 loss to Palace. And ironically, it was the one match that I wasn't able to watch properly. So I'm not really able to talk on it too much. So do one of you want to take it away with some steaming hot takes? Oh, Jesus. Uh, United were tragic. They were so bad. Dan James in that first half, he was dreadful. I, I do have a note <laughs> oh, saying why, why start James. Because like were... Palace, they're just unapologetically a little bit like Burnley, but just a little bit worse. They're just, they'll just defend. They don't care at all. There's what, a really low even, block. What's even worse is he started Fossey Men's on the same side. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. I couldn't get over the team selection. I don't, I need guessing Wan-Bissaka is not fully fish after the late season you just had last year. Yeah, Palace started the game true, very well and uh, there was a stage when De Gea came charging out of the goal and it was him and Zaha and Zaha, if he doesn't pull out, he gets the goal, he gets the ball around De Gea and more than likely a goal. They also have down that United were playing loads of sloppy passes early on and they just kept shooting from outside the box. It's not how you win Premier League games. That's how you win in pro clubs or ultimate team. 
that's my speciality. Shots outside the box, but when all you're doing shot after shot after shot from outside the penalty area, it's not going to work. I actually trade as as a United fan, Connell. What, what do you think on the goalkeeper situation? Because the hair didn't cover himself in glory again this weekend. I Did know you were questioning him after the Chelsea game last year as well. He played yeah, the, the first game. half. He played a pass. Yeah, but the first half he played a pass straight out into. The, I think it was McCarthy in the midfield, and then he his pass didn't make it through to Zaha in the midfield. I thought he was poor. Zaha's second goal as well. Do you think Henderson might get in there? Not yet, because I've seen the goals and I don't think any of them were bad enough in order to drop him after the first game of the season. United are playing Lucian tonight in the League Cup and Henderson's starting, so maybe not much of a challenge, but at least he's getting some minutes. One note I have here is uh, State of Shaw, just the general <laughs> state of him. And from what I know, he actually didn't play that badly, but the 20, 25 minutes that I've seen, it's, oh, maybe it's just because I have an agenda against him but he just doesn't look like a Premier League footballer at all United are linked with left back at the minute we'll talk about that after but I definitely like an addition there uh, I have one note here Greenwood chance Fossi Menza actually he's not very good going forward but he did clip in a nice ball to Greenwood but his yeah. header was pretty bad it's one area of his game that he definitely needs to have down and then on he the really should have scored that header the last note I have is Pogba, careless. He just, I, don't, I know he had COVID-19 there, but uh, it's just, he was so sloppy the little bit that he's seen. I think the biggest talking point from this game really is the penalty. It was more than just whether or not it was a penalty or not, but it's also over the, the new rule where they're enforcing keepers staying on the line yeah. for the penalties. Personally, I, they don't seem to be being very consistent with it in the Premier League diminish. Because uh, there was the one get I I know we'll probably talk about once we get onto the Arsenal West Ham game as well. Gabriel had West Ham had a penalty thrown away for what looked like a handball under the new rules for Gabriel. I know it hit him on his upper arm, but his arm was still up in the air when he was trying to go for a header. And based off that and what I'd seen in the Spurs and Southampton game, the, the penalty given against Matt Hardy was ridiculous. I know his hand yeah. was up, but there was literally nothing he could have done about it. It was the same with Lindelof here. I thought it was very harsh. If he'd given it straight away, I think it would have been hard for him to tar- overturn it. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably summarised by the fact that the Palace players, they just started going back into their positions. They, they didn't even for a minute think it's a penalty. It surprised them. And again, I don't have a problem with penalties being given for that. Just once it's applied consistently, it needs to be consistently. It's the same with the goalkeepers coming off their line. It, that rule's there for a reason. So That was very funny. Strictly speaking, I don't have a problem with it, but I remember last year when United played Norwich, we had two penalties. Haha, <laughs> yeah, United get penalties, whatever. Right. Uh, <laughs> but Tim Krul was like a foot off his line for both of them, and neither were retaken. And it was grand because United won that match, I think it was 3 0 or something, but it just needs to be applied consistently. Yeah, Gary Neville was not happy after that. Uh, after IU missed the first penalty, it was a shocking penalty. And then he wasn't going to take the second one. But even looking at that, it was very harsh in De Gea. But as they say, rules are rules. In fairness yeah. to Solskjaer, he wasn't particularly salty about it. Like he came out after the match and said, I think he said on, on match today, that you know rules are rules. So going by the rules, probably fair enough that the De Gea penalty was re- retaken. But like he said himself, the 
given a penalty in the first place, it was a ridiculous call. Yeah, another problem I had with it was that Ayu took the first one, as far as I know. Then Zaha took the second one. Should that be allowed? Should you be allowed to change the taker? I don't, I don't think there's so. any rule against it, but you shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't be allowed. It should be whoever took the first one takes the second one. But obviously, he missed that first one, so confidence knocked a good bit. So yeah. Zaha steps up, smashed at home. It was, a, it was a deadly penalty. What do you think of uh, Evra's comments about uh, Dave Moy's daughter? You see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. No. Oh, did you not see that? Yeah, he said something about uh, it not working out for Zaha United because of an affair with his daughter or something like that. And Sky Sports had to come out after and apologise. I thought that was quite funny. This is also a man who licks raw chicken. So. It wouldn't be like Sky Sports come out and apologise now, would it? <laughs> right then, so moving on to another game, we've uh, one that you'd be able to talk about. Chelsea against Liverpool. I was able to watch this one, so any opening thoughts on that one? I was very impressed by Liverpool's performance, uh, mostly with Fabinho. I thought that um, when I saw that starting lineup and then seeing Werner up top, you think they're just going to hit the ball to Werner. He's going to run past them. He's going to be an absolute handful for Fabinho. But Fabinho dealt with him very well one-on-one, got in a lot of great tackles. And overall, he was very solid playing centre-back with Van Dijk. Yeah, I have here, first all I had down is Chelsea struggle with the high press I know Liverpool have the Dig Egan press and Jorgen Klopp and all that but they did seem to struggle Liverpool won the ball in high positions quite a lot obviously Fabinho played brilliant I think like, he's just a really versatile player for Liverpool Like we can drop him in in centre half I think he played at right full as well a few times for Monaco yeah. I think he made 17 appearances at right full so like, he can fit in there as well if you ever get an injury although I think Nico Williams is the backup now and I just had here Chelsea midfield need to sort it out because I have Lampard seems to be playing Jorginho deeper out of Jorginho and Kante, which seems bizarre to me because Jorginho, one of the best aspects of his game, I don't really rate him that much, but one of the best aspects of his game is his passing. And Kante is just an out-and-out number six. He's just he just breaks down the attack and play. And, but Kante seems to be the one that has always finding himself in more forward positions. I don't really get why Lampard's doing that. Well, I, I quite like Jorginho at the base in the midfield. And I think maybe Kante ahead of him because Kante has that, he can really drive the ball forward. He's not the best technical player, but I think he can bring it forward quite well. But as I touched on last week, it's weird that Jorginho's starting again because last, last year he was kind of frozen out of it completely. So it's like, oh, right, Lampard clearly doesn't see this fella as part of his plans at all. And now he started two games and nearly scored two goals. He missed the penalty, obviously. Um, yeah, and all about Fabinho. Save. Fabinho is a great player to have, but despite his performance at centre-back, are you concerned that you haven't signed another centre-back? Yeah, so after getting rid of Lovren, you think you need to get an extra bit of cover at centre-back because Joe Gomez, he was very good, but in, since the restart, I found him to have been making a lot of mistakes. You know, he is still a good centre-back, but I think you need that extra bit of um, backup because you can't rely on Joel Matip to be fit. And when you're playing your um, starting centre-defensive midfield player in defence, like, that's when you need to start sorting out another signing. That's, that's, like, that's something I touched upon last week on the podcast when you asked me if I thought Liverpool were going to win the league or not. My exact thing was if Matip and Gomez got injured, who's going to slot in there? Now, granted, Fabinho played very well, but... I would much rather have Fabinho playing as the holding midfielder as opposed to Wijnaldum. I like Wijnaldum a lot, 
but Firmino is arguably the best player in the league there. Maybe the only other person is Fernandinho, but he's at least he's definitely at least the second best in that position. And if he's the best player in the league in that position, you want him playing where he's supposed to be playing. You don't want him having to fill in at right full or centre half. Yeah, absolutely. Because you need to play play your best players in their actual positions. Because if you don't, then it's completely pointless. All about the game itself. Chelsea were trying to counter-attack. That was like their entire game plan for the first probably 35 minutes. And I have here that that game plan was completely failing and that we need more ambition from Chelsea because they have good players. They absolutely have enough players to actually get on the ball and cause Liverpool problems. They actually started doing that. I have it here. Got better as the half went on. And then right after that, uh, the ball fell to, I think it was Alisson. He rolled it to Henderson, who knocked a long ball over to Mane. And... It was a red card, so maybe they shouldn't have shown that ambition. I can't believe you didn't give it red straight away. It was one of the clearest red cards I've ever seen in the Premier League. Well, I can yeah, see why... And Lampard was that, complaining about it as well. Because, like, it, I agree that it is a red card, but I don't know if he denied a goal-scoring opportunity. I think that's one thing I have down about it. It's like, what? there's no real need for Christensen to do that. It was stupid, and it was a red card, but... In terms of denying a goal-scoring opportunity, I'm not 100% sure. So maybe that's why the ref didn't give it a first. I mean, I just have, and going into the second half, obviously Liverpool got those two goals. Early in the second half, they made the man advantage count. Obviously, Thiago came on for his debut. A lot of people saying very promising debut, and he was quite good, but I wouldn't read too much into it. Again, it was kind of like James Rodriguez last week. He did, played well, but I don't think he dictated the play or anything. thought he played well. There was a start there that he... Most most passes in a, for someone who played a maximum of 45 minutes, which is, again, looking at the start on its own is impressive, but you actually watched the match. It's not, it's not to take away from his performance, but most of it was kind of sideways and backwards passing. Yeah. When we were already controlling the game, Chelsea were kind of sat back at that stage. So it was a good debut, but I wouldn't, again, read too much into that. And then once again, Kepa is just one of the worst keepers I've ever seen at play at the top, top level. <laughs> Right, I have a down note here. Isaac, like, who was responsible for signing him? Who was responsible for paying seventy-two million from? Was it a director he, of football or something? That man is the world's most expensive goalkeeper ever. He's awful. He's so bad. Oh my god! Like, Chelsea aren't going to go anywhere with him. He is shit. In fairness, yeah, Frank Lampard. Yeah, Frank Lampard com- confirmed today that Edouard Mendy was having his medical today, I think. don't think they announced him today, but it'd be announced in the next day or so. But it's just, I don't know, but he's, he's not Kepa. Like you said last week, he's not Kepa, so he has to be some sort of improvement. It was like, I can't remember who said it. When he was signed, he was signed for like 72 million because that was the buyout clause. And convinced Spanish clubs only put those buyout clauses on because they assume nobody's going to pay that amount of money. And then when someone does, I mean, that's on Chelsea for paying that money for him. Yeah. Usually Spanish clubs just have it there to sort of wear off any sort of approaches for their players, especially if let go Bilbao, because they can only have the Basque players, obviously. So they really can't afford to let those players go. Because if Chelsea had to come in and sign for 20 million, what's the point to Atletico? Because... It's going to be really difficult for them to get, go out and get another goalkeeper. The thing about Thiago, you said he came on and broke the record for passes and stuff, but he ultimately wasn't that good. I have it down here. It's sort of like, have you ever seen any like posts about like 
when a professional footballer just rocks about to a five-a-side and they kind of join in, but they can't really play at full intensity in case they get injured or like maybe in a charity game or something where they're clearly a class above, but they're not arsed. That's what I got from his debut. Yeah, he was fine. He was like, thought he was grand. He didn't play bad or anything. Gave away the penalty. But I, I don't think he played bad. It's just, I wouldn't, there was a lot of people going mad about his debut and I didn't think he was, I don't think the reaction was warranted. I thought Alisson did really well for the penalty save, actually, because the key yeah. to saving those penalties from Jorginho or even Bruno Fernandes is just don't don't move. Don't move and you have a decent chance of saving them. That's why Bruno, he mixes it up. Sometimes he doesn't do it, so that if you don't move, then there's no chance you're saving it. But yeah, thought Alisson did well. It's just to stand strong. I hate that way, Skip. It's just so awful to look at. I like it. I think it looks cool. Right, so then the last game we're going to review properly is Wolves against City. Uh, the first note I have here is a Rodri Fernandinho midfield. I thought City were going to lack for creativity in that midfield, which is obviously very unlike them. Usually they only play one of them. But what I realized quite soon was that neither of them would ever really attack. It would be Mendy on the left and Walker on the right, just sort of bombing up. So if you like City just sort of had that sort of defensive square, and then everybody else would attack. So they'd have four players back pretty much at all times to deal with any wall of counterattacks. And then the other seven would just bomb on. And they were really impressive, City. I thought they might be a bit rusty because like United, they didn't have a preseason. But uh, I was very impressed. I thought Wolves were hard done by not to get something out of that game, though. I thought second half, they played really well. Opponents missed a few good chances. The first goal for City was one of the most smooth brain tackles I've seen in my life. That ball, De Bruyne was running that ball out of play. It was like, I know you don't think that was a penalty in the league for the mm. game, but it was the that same thing. Was, yeah. Yeah, but it was the same tackle. Like, Brian was going nowhere and De Bruyne was going nowhere. The ball was out and he came on. He just clipped him. Like, what was he doing? It was so stupid. No sense at all. It was just. And then the second goal, uh, it was just a good team goal from City. Yeah, it was very good. As I said there, the the city width was very impressive. Obviously, Wolves play with the back three, but did sort of overload those areas with the fullbacks and then Sterling, Foden, even De Bruyne. De Bruyne made that run for the penalty and they just kept drawing the centre-backs out. So there was lots of space to expose, really. And I thought Wolves just had no out-ball. Jimenez is a brilliant player, but certainly in the first half particularly, he was pretty poor um, because he just had no support at all. And... The two wingers, Podence and uh, Pedro Neto, were very poor in the first half. Then second half, they started pressing an awful lot higher, and I thought City really struggled with that. Yeah, I I, I said, well, it's a hard done by not to get a point out of that game. Still think that, but City were definitely more impressive as an overall. Ones that went to one, Wolves had two or three good chances to level. But that's, I suppose that's obviously what makes the difference between the top clubs and the clubs that are going to finish Europa League, and that's just City took their chances. Didn't make anything of Ferran Torres when he came on. Didn't really have much to do in fairness to him. So can't, again, judge him on that. I thought Wolves' entire game plan was just reliant on the wing-backs. And you've seen that in the first half because it was they were just really, really bad. But then second half, Traore particularly, but um, it was Ruben van Agre on the other side, were able to get forward because obviously against City, you need to defend pretty deep. So Traore was just consistently just in his own half not being able to hurt City at all. So then you left those three Wolves attackers up there and just weren't able to do anything. But uh, 
Then second half, Wolves' press was much better. They were getting the second balls. City, in response to that, sort of dropped deeper, which I thought was wise. Uh, they did concede a goal from a cross, which obviously is a consequence of that, but they were able to ride it out. I thought Poden's play for the Wolves' goal is brilliant as well. Yeah, it was a very lovely, um, just sort of chipped cross, sort of took all the weight out of it, right on Jimenez's head, and it was a fantastic header past Ederson. Yeah, he did really well with the header, because it was kind of behind him a little bit, but Jimenez is just an absolutely top-class forward, isn't he? Yeah, very good. He's not bad. He's only, he's like 27 or 28. He's not a young fella. He was at Atletico Madrid and Benfica and stuff. He's really come to his own now. I, yeah, I was surprised. I remember he first played for Wolves. It was two years ago when he was on loan for Benfica. And I also was shocked at how well he played because he, when he first came into the side, he wasn't a regular starter for Benfica at all, which obviously that's why he loaned him out. But again, I thought that was only because he was a young lad. I thought he was like 22, 23 when he first came in. But he is, he is 28. So like, yeah, no, he's, he's pretty much in his prime now. Yeah. Pa- City's pass in the first half just top class. You could see that yeah. from the folding goal. Unbelievable. 692 passes over the course of the game. This is not normal. Unbelievable. Sterling, who was that? I think the Bruyne played at the Sterling and then Sterling just had the foresight to see Foden just in a bit of space and just passed it into the net. Absolutely fantastic team goal. Yeah, that was yeah, it was a very good team Awful goal. Awful yeah. car centre-half partnership with Stones and Aki though. Both, yeah. Well, I don't know about Stone. Yeah. But for, for City, it's, it's weird seeing the two of them play together. Just not physical at all. I thought maybe they might get exposed for that, but they were all right. Yeah, you assume that Port's going to come back in there. Perhaps that's why he actually conceded that goal because a cross came in. They had to defend deep because that completely negated Wolves pressing. But yeah, just when you whip crosses into Jimenez against them too, they're going to concede, and that's exactly what they did. Stone's big man, but like he's like a stick. Uh, another two games that I didn't actually watch, so I can't really uh, give that much analysis on, was Spurs-Southampton. Bit of a weird one. Ended up being 5-2 to Spurs. Uh, Hyung-Min Son scored four and somehow managed not to get three bonus points on fancy football. It's been used <laughs> by that. Uh, but him and Harry Kane linking up unbelievably well. I watched the first half. Southampton were absolutely incredible in the first half. Gineppo ran the show midfield. Ings and Shea Adams. Adams looks so much more comfortable up front now with Danny Ings I suppose that's just just how he is in the Premier League now he's kind of established himself a bit more but second half the goal Son's goal at the end of the first half came completely against the run of play but I think that did obviously you know the old adage goals change games but Son getting all the praise Harry Kane was my man of the match for me because obviously he got four assists and the goal but the passes especially for Son's fourth goal they were all very very good assists and I it just he's he's a really complete player as well. Like I, I'm convinced he's like, he is one of the most athletic players in the league. And he's in terms of technical ability, I don't think it's it's said enough how good Harry Kane really is. Like his his passing was just unbelievable to watch. He's such a complete player. There's a lot made about Spurs obviously scoring five goals, but I think Southampton shot themselves in the foot because their line was so incredibly high <laughs> was the entire time. They got caught out so many times. I think. Southampton had six shots in the game and Spurs, I think, had five, all on target at least, uh, all of which resulted in goals because when all your shots are one-on-one with the keeper, <laughs> they're going to be on target. You're going to score. What did Southampton yeah. think is going to happen when they have someone like Hyunmin Son running at you? Get, He's very at, fast. Getting caught out once or twice is, you know, whatever. But it just kept on happening. Maybe it was because they were chasing <laughs> the game after they went 3-1 down, but it just kept on happening. 
Yeah, it seemed to have absolutely no plan B at all. Three times, it wasn't even just Kane and Zon doing it. It was a few times, even after the... Yeah, it was incredible. It's going to happen if you play that high of a line. Did, did, were they playing that in the first half? Well, they were, but the difference between the first half was... Uh, Southampton pretty much had control of the game for the entirety of the first half. I watched it, that's what I thought. Anyway, again, they controlled the midfield a lot more. I thought Gineppo was brilliant. But in the second half, I think the heads just dropped after he conceded the, the goal to Son. And particularly... Hoiberg returning to his old stomping grounds looked a lot more comfortable in the second half. He broke up the play a lot more. I know for the first goal in Dombley broke up a counter-attack and again they played a very high line there as well. It was just the only difference really was they did play a high line in both halves. It's just they controlled the midfield in the first half. Then looking at the Arsenal game by all accounts it seems like West Ham actually played quite well and were hard done by not to get a result. Did you watch that game? I watched extended highlights so I, I can't really Say much about, but uh, yeah, West Ham had a lot of chances, particularly in the second half. Again, I touched on it earlier, they were hard done by not to get the penalty on Gabriel. Gabriel, um, and I know there was one, there was another one in the first half where Bowen was tripped up in the box, but that that one would have been harsh, I thought. But again, it comes back to the just being consistent on the handballs because you've seen a penalty given against Doherty in the Spurs match, and then the penalty given against Lindelof, and the one on Gabriel. Wasn't too dissimilar. I say I saw, someone said I think it was mentioned on match today that apparently it's if the ball hits part of your sleeve, it's considered to be too high to be handball. So then, so then the whole conversation is what's handball, what's not. It's just annoyingly inconsistent. Mamoy's definitely got a response out of them, that's for sure. But um, West Ham are definitely going to be down there in the relegation scrap. I don't think there's much doubt about that. It's what's going to happen if you finish. I think it was 16th or something. Keep Dave Moyes and you don't sign anyone. They sold Dan Garner. Yeah, which we weren't happy about at all. Speaking of transfers, uh, we'll move on to a bit of transfers. There wasn't that many transfers this week, but the ones that did happen were big. Um, What's your thoughts on Bale to Spurs? It's a kind of a weird one, but at the same time, Bale going back to his old club. He won't be the same player that he was, absolutely not. And he found a number nine, which Mm. doesn't look... Oh, it just looks very weird. He's, He's injured for a few weeks anyways, but I don't think he's going to be the impact player Spurs fans think that he's going to be. I think he's a great sign. It's no risk. He's on loan for one year. I don't know if there's an option to buy there, but he's still only 31. I know a lot of people have this weird obsession that once a player hits 30, they're done, they're not. I mean, Lewandowski's, I think, 32, top goal scorer in Europe last season. I know Bale didn't play that much this last season, but a footy fit Bale is, is one of the best players in the world. Everyone knows that. The only thing I said really is it depends on how he fits in the Mourinho side, struggling. I know he's got five at the weekend, but they are still struggling for identity and two big personalities. I know everybody saw the antics that Bale was doing last year. It was quite funny, obviously, but yeah. Mourinho and Bale are two big personalities and you could see there being a clash there, similar. Not saying it will be, but something similar to Pogba with Mourinho at United could happen. Yeah, with Bale there, instead of a Lucas Moore or a Bergwijn, who are like really direct, you know, Bale has lost that bit of pace. Um, Spurs have to change how they'll play and they won't. I know that from Mourinho. He won't change the system. So, look, it's only a year loan, so it's relatively risk-free, I suppose. I can see why they did it, but I, I can't see it ending well. He's going to be injured um, the whole time. Yeah, does. it doesn't help when he's injured from the start. He's out for four weeks. Um, very Mourinho thing to push for a player like that and then inevitably fall out with him. He did it with Sanchez. He'll do it with Bale, I think. Then, a better signing, although there is a... 
an asterisk over that was Regulon. Because obviously last week I was talking about Regulon potentially moving to United and saying we might have an update on that this week. He did get a move, but it wasn't to United. Um, it was the Spurs. And it's for 27 million rising to 31. And I, I wanted him at United. I absolutely did. He seemed like a really good player. And I think he'll be a good addition to Spurs. But, and there is a but, he, it's going from potentially £31 million and then Real Madrid have a £35 million buyback clause. So inevitably, when Marcelo, well, it's Marcelo, he must be about 33 now, so he's probably going to be finished in a year. And Real Madrid will say, okay, yeah, we'll take him back. Don't see the point in signing him. They also have Ferland Mendy. Like, it was quite bad in Spurs since having that buyback and United were smart not getting it. Obviously, they're looking at Alex Tellez as well, but he is a very good player regularly. Yeah, I think he definitely improved, though. I think, yes. But, yeah. Yeah, I have to only, like, note I have him here. I said, again, big miss for United. Thought he could have done well at United. If Real Madrid insisted, if there was a contact between United and Real Madrid, if Real Madrid insisted on a buyback clause, I can see why United wouldn't go from. Just have here, I got three goals and five assists in all competitions last season. Was obviously involved in the Europa League, in the Sevilla squad that won the Europa League. Definitely, yeah. Huge improvement on Ben Davies. Mm-hmm. Career-wise, he's 12 goals and 13 assists in 155 games. Seems to be more of an attacking fullback. Likes to a defensive style. He likes to win the ball further up the field, which kind of complements Matt Doherty on the other side. Matt Doherty definitely, obviously, Matt Doherty played in a back three as a wing-back. Back five as a wing-back last year at Wolves, last two seasons. And obviously, again, he's kind of likes to play a little bit more forward. So maybe that's just Mourinho. Maybe that's Mourinho. Spurs change their style. He wants maybe Mourinho wants his fullbacks to play more forward, but definitely a big improvement, I think, for Spurs. Yeah, I was listening to Daniel Harris on the off the ball this morning, and he was on about how they've signed Regulon, they've signed Matt Doherty, who are two. They're basically wing backs, so the only way Spurs can really play with them is to completely change formation. So will Jose Mourinho do that? I don't Absolutely know. Not. Maybe for some games. Maybe for some games he might go to a back three. I can't remember if he ever did it at United. I don't think he did. So if they persist with that sort of four-two-three-one, then uh, I don't know. But look, Spurs Matt are going to concede a load of goals with them two playing wing back. I like, think them two pushed up the whole field, and you've got Eric Dyer. He doesn't have pace. Like think something like a Bamiang running against him, he'll smoke him. I, I think if Spurs did end up going to a back three and playing the two of them as wing backs, they're both brilliant signings. But they're not. They too, they play too high up to be part of a back four. And not concede loads of goals. That and their two very short-term signings. Because Doherty's, what, 27, 28? And then Regulon's young. But unless he's really bad, he's going to go back to Real Madrid. And if he is really bad, then it's obviously not a good sign for Spurs. Then a massive one. Really dominated the news this week. One that was mooted for an awful long time was Thiago to Liverpool. Finally got it over the line. We touched it, obviously, his debut. Thank God. How do you think he's going to fit in? I think he did pretty well. Obviously, there was talk at the start of the window or that um, Wijnaldum was going so you'd think he'd be a direct replacement but at this stage of the window I don't think Wijnaldum would go so an extra bit of midfield co- midfield cover will do no harm uh, obviously very good player he's won everything with Bayern won a lot with Barcelona as well uh, he's just a complete package really he can pass he can dribble he can win the ball back very good sign very happy yeah Liverpool kind of made me look like a fool last week me saying that we wouldn't get Thiago and then I was saying Keanu Hoover might get some game time this season so <laughs> not not a brilliant observation for myself last week but yeah Thiago I don't think anything else really has to be said about him brilliant position brilliant pass with the ball I think he's going to add a lot to Liverpool midfield 
he just adds something different, doesn't he? Because before he didn't really have that, you know, really technical midfielder who could really dominate a game. You yeah, had that sort of press midfielders, the Hendersons, the Wayne Aldams. But yeah, he definitely adds something new. And yeah, touching it there with Keanu Hoover leaving, are you happy with that? You got ten no. million from? No, it's rising to fourteen million. I don't really mind because I saw. I think it was James Pierre said during the week that Keanu Hoover was saying anyway he didn't want to play centre half until later on in his career. So he wasn't going to get any game time anyway. We've got a buyback clause there anyway. We want to get him back. If we didn't want to buy him back, I think going to Wolves. It's obviously hard to tell what's going to happen in two or three year times. But if he was going to get the, if he was going to develop as a player, Wolves is a good place to go. If he was going to play Premier League football, Willie Bali and Connor Cody too fairly set in stone centre-backs for Wolves and he won't get playing right back either if they sign Semedo from Barcelona which is more than likely going to get done this week so if he thinks he's playing right back he's got another thing coming he'll be sat on the bench all season stunted his growth I'm actually raging myself the first game I saw him was um, against Wolves in the FA Cup as a 16-17 year old did very well considering that was his first senior appearance yeah, I'm just really annoyed that he left I think I think that was I think he was only sixteen. I think he was the youngest player to ever make his competitive debut for Liverpool in that game. Sort of part of that deal. Well, I think it was actually independent to that deal, but somewhat related is the surprise signing of Diogo Jota. It was a bit of a random sign for me, but I suppose you're a better position to talk about it. It's sort yeah, of came lot, out of nowhere. Yeah, a lot of people were obviously the big talking point about this transfer is the price signed for forty three million. I think mm. with that ons. I think, though, that it's it's like Thiago Diaz doing installments. I think we were offered to buy him up front for £35 million, but we preferred to go for the £45 million over a number of years. So I think I will say is he's, he's, got, he's a lot more prolific than a lot of people think. Um, got nine goals in 14 Europa League games last year, and in 2017, played eight games for Porto in the Champions League, played every game for him that season in Europe, and he also scored a goal then as well. So he's got more European experience than people would think. In terms of his Premier League performances, scored 16 goals and 55 starts in the last two seasons. Scored 16 goals in all competitions last season. And then when he was in the Championship as well, he scored 17 goals and got 16 assists. And it was in 44 appearances. And also scored, also has four international appearances for Portugal. And scored in a 4-1 win against Croatia. So he's got a lot more experience than people were, I think people realise. And I just think he's a good sign, good backup and maybe a bit more long term. Yeah, you think like obviously the price tag is a bit shocking, but Liverpool really did need that backup. So they didn't really have that sort of firepower coming off the bench. Obviously, City, they could have Mares and Sterling both coming off the bench, causing a problem. And Liverpool have Divock Origi and Shakiri. Doesn't strike much fear into the opponent, but Jota coming off the bench could be a great impact signing. Obviously, he's still quite young, and I wouldn't mind seeing him maybe start a couple of games, but obviously with Salah and Mane both playing the wing it will be hard to see it but it's probably more of a future signing than a now sort of thing he's always struck me as a player who sort of had that potential and looked good in some matches for Wolves but never really had that consistency uh he's a huge improvement on what you have on the bench like I'd like to see him maybe become a bit more consistent and that might be hard if he's only have a bench role but he is young so yeah definitely good signing I just thought it's a bit strange to dilly dally over Thiago for so long and then say, okay, yeah, here's forty million for Jota. Yeah, you'd, you'd imagine he's going to play tomorrow against Lincoln in the League Cup. Or yeah. again, he's, he's just got a lot more experience. And again, even when Salah and Mane first came in, people they didn't exactly set the world on fire. And 
they were big, big price tags. I think both of them were around 35 million, and yeah. they've ended up both being brilliant. So he might end up being a flop, who knows? But I, at this stage, I kind of trust who Klopp's bringing in. Yeah, no, well, I think it's definitely a good signing, and Wolves seem to have spent that money pretty much already because they've bought Matt Doherty's replacement, Nelson Sinedo. I don't think it's quite confirmed yet, but it's got the here we go from Amano. 35 million. I don't know if that's pound or euros. I should have written that down, but what do you make of that sign? Good. I think he's quite a good player. I think a lot of people just having their eyes. Alfonso Davies ghosting him in the Champions League semi-final, but I think he is good. He's a great wing back, so he sort of slot into that Wolves system. And obviously, a lot of his international teammates will already be in that Wolves squad. So whether or not he can adapt to the Premier League is a different story. Obviously, Barcelona plays sort of slow passing football. There's not a lot of quick counter-attacking football. Wolves, they get the ball up, they get the ball up the pitch quickly, try to get it up to the wingers. Barca just tip it and tap it around midfield. But I do have promise that he can be quite good when he moves to Wolves. It's just really weird from Barcelona selling him, and I think they had a bid rejected from Max Aaron from Norwich, which is just bizarre yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. He was linked to United before we signed Juan Basaka, so I think he's quite a good player, but definitely a very off the wall transfer. Then on Senado, it's it's quite a hard man to replace Matt Doherty because not only was he so good for our roles, but a really strange player, quite unique in the fact that he was a real goal-scoring threat, sort of aerially yeah. from wing-back. So I don't know if Sinedo's going to be able to offer that. I don't know how many players can. But there's less than two weeks left in the window. There's absolutely going to be deals done. So just come back to us next week to hear more transfer news. So then moving on to predictions for the weekend. The five matches we're going to predict... Uh, Brighton United, West Brom, Chelsea, City, Leicester, Blades against Leeds, and Liverpool against Arsenal. So we'll start with United against away to Brighton. That's the early kickoff on the Saturday. Uh, Brighton with an impressive win against Newcastle there. Mopai on the score sheet twice and Aaron Connolly from an Irish perspective. And I really like Brighton. And when record is saying that on that podcast, I, I love the way Graham Power has them set up. I really like some of their players. But in both matches last season, they weren't a good matchup. Uh, against United because they do play quite good football and leave a lot of space. United obviously have a lot of pacey attackers who can expose that. But our confidence will be quite low after losing 3-1 to Palace. So I'm just going to go for a narrow 2-1 win to get us back on track. I've gone for 2-all here. Again, oh no, I, don't, I, don't, I said 2-0. I've actually I've changed that to 2-all. I think you're right. Brighton do play quite attacking. Nice, nice look at football. But... They do leave a lot of space in behind. I think United will grab one or two, especially with the, the front line they have. Marshall, Greenwood, Rashford, all good finishers, all absolutely rapid. But I do think Brighton offer enough going forward to give threat to United. I'm expecting goals in this game. I have United winning 3-2. I think they'll be a bit shaky at the back. Brighton, obviously, as the lads have said, good going forward. United, they need to bounce back. Obviously, confidence shot after getting slapped about by Palace. I think the just Greenwood and the boys would be too much to handle. You think like to the back end of last season, United were very good to watch. Like it was actually enjoyable to watch, and that's painful to say as a Liverpool fan. And they were completely the opposite at the weekend. So I think Solskjaer will have a, a word with them now, and they'll be well up for the game at the weekend. Here's hoping from my perspective, because it would not reflect well if we start with another loss. Uh, we really need someone to come in. And- just give us a bit of a boost, whether it's a Sancho, a Teles, whatever. Just someone to just kick the players up the arse a wee bit. The next game is Chelsea at the Hawthorns. I was weirdly kind of impressed with West Brom against Everton. They did concede five goals, 
But uh, I think they do look quite good going forward. Pereira and Diangan are both in the score sheet. So I think they'll give Chelsea some problems. Chelsea haven't started the season well. Uh, but ultimately, I think Chelsea's individual quality will be far too much for West Brom. So 2-1 to Chelsea. I've gone for 4-2 to Chelsea. I'm same as yourself. West Brom do offer a lot going forward. Diangana, Pereira both look very good at the weekend. So I think I've think scored the two goals. But again, Chelsea, I think Chelsea just have too much for West Brom. They're not... And I think Chelsea will be one to try and make a statement, especially after Liverpool lost. And they didn't play well against Brighton, so 4-2. Uh, I'd have to agree on Rowan with the score now. I have 4-2 Chelsea. Uh, last game that they had was West Brom's last season, Premier League in 2018. 3-0 Chelsea. Just do think that Timo Werner, Havertz, this is a game for them to sort of get up and running in the Premier League. And West Brom's defence isn't great. Obviously, Kieran Gibbs suspended after slapping about James Rodriguez at Goodison the other the other day but yeah I think Chelsea put four past four past West Brom so next match is City home to Leicester I think this is a fairly straightforward one I can't see Leicester getting anything I thought City were largely quite impressive against Wolves Leicester have started the season with two wins but I don't know how long it's going to last I haven't been overly impressed with them to be honest I thought they were a little bit lucky against Burnley so I'm going to go 2-0 City yeah I'm going for 3-1 City again City did look impressive going forward against Wolves they're definitely more clinical than Leicester I agree with yourself Leicester didn't look brilliant against Burnley the only thing is going forward Leicester do still offer the same threat I, I don't think it's training against West Brom and they score again four there again against Burnley so they do offer stuff going forward and just on that as well just want to give a shout out to local lad Jimmy Dunn for scoring on his Premier League debut Everyone here delighted for him. Former Rock Celtic alumni. I have uh, City winning 4-1. I just think City are too good. That's the simple answer. Too good for everyone. 4-1. Obviously, Leicester made a good start with two wins. Uh, They got a good replacement in Chilwell in the form of Castagna. But I also did think City were going to win 5-0 against Wolves. And I was quite wrong. I was right in the sense of a City win, but not as emphatic. So I think that City are going to score more goals this time around yeah, maybe we're a little bit harsh on Leicester there but I don't know I just don't see them getting anything at the Etihad then the next game I've went for a bit of an upset I'm going to have Sheffield United to beat Leeds 2-1 I think Leeds have looked impressive but still kind of getting used to playing at this level a little bit uh, Sheffield United are a very different sort of matchup for them Fulham are a pretty easy team to play against Liverpool they went there as underdogs completely so I think most people will expect them to beat Sheffield United. They haven't really started the season too well, Sheffield United, uh, with two losses, but I think they'll get back on track and cause Leeds some problems, beat them 2-1. I've gone for a 2 all draw. I think Sheffield will come out and they need to get results after two losses on the bounce, especially after they impressed so much last season. But I do think they don't look as solid at the back without Henderson there. And then again, they've got Egan missing for the next match with the suspension. Be interesting to see, but I've gone for a 2 all draw. I have a 2-1 Blades win. You think about Leeds, they're so, they've so much space, they're great in the counter. They're not going to get that against Sheffield. Think back to Sheffield last year, very compact. They don't go up, send everyone up the pitch for an attack. They have everyone back. Leeds aren't going to have the luxury of all that space to be tipping the ball about, uh, not going to pass people having yards of space to run into. I think Sheffield make it difficult for Leeds and... Obviously, that extra year in the Premier League might have a bit more experience. So uh, I just think that Sheffield will win that game. 
And then the final match, Liverpool probably in the game the weekend for the third week in a row. They've had a pretty tough start of the season, but they've done well so far. They're home to Arsenal. Are Arsenal a tough game? I don't know. They're definitely making improvements under Arteta, but Arsenal going to Anfield usually only means one thing. Uh, I haven't quite went for a 5 nil or anything. I'm going 3-1 to Liverpool, but probably a Bamiyang scoring for Arsenal, to be honest, because other than a Bamiyang, their team's not very good. They are well-driven. You know, they're, They know what to do. Uh, in each of the rules under Arteta but yeah I think Liverpool's class will be a bit too much 3-1 I've said 1-0 Liverpool I do think Liverpool are going to I think it's going to be a little bit more comfortable than that scoreline gives off so I just think Arsenal especially the improvements they've made they're going to want to go there and try obviously going to want obviously going to go there and want to win they want to win every match obviously mm. but they're I think again Liverpool just have a bit just a little bit extra class that will see them over the line but I'm going for a tight 1-0 when you think of Liverpool and Arsenal, one word springs to mind, and that word is goals. So I have uh, Liverpool winning 4-3 in that game, so I think that's a bit of a mad one. But I couldn't fucking take that again. <laughs> there's always goals in these games. Think back even to the League Cup, eight goals in that game. It was, it was oh, 10, it was 5-all. Oh, jeez, I thought it was 4-all. Anyways, my point again, goals, 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 4-3 Liverpool. Arsenal, they did win the Community Shield against Liverpool earlier on, just in the pre-season. Obviously, you can't judge Liverpool by pre-season. They lost the, only, the Community Shield the year before, and then they won the Premier League. So. The only difference is we won't have a toddler nets like we did with Kevin Kelleher in that five-all. Yeah, we needed someone to replace James this week with an outlandish uh, prediction. 4-3 might be tamed by James' standards. I'm not sure what he's predicted for any of these games, but uh, if you're looking at the prediction table, I'm bottom so far with four points. Uh, Ronan, you're on six. Mixer, you're on six. And James, with his outlandish predictions, is on eight. So he's out on top at the minute. But yeah, another really good weekend of games to look forward to. Uh, just a reminder, as we're closing out the podcast, to follow us on all our socials. That will be in the description. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Uh, we've been overwhelmed with the support so far. It's been really good. They've got to 200 views on both podcast episodes, so closing in on 50 subscribers as well. Please like and subscribe if you're on Spotify or SoundCloud. Follow us. Thank you for all your support, and we'll be happy to have you back next week. Enjoy the Premier League.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.